0: Hello, hello, everyone. It is so good to be back. It has been a hot minute since I have recorded.
1: Yes, it is so good to be back. We've missed you.
0: Yes, we have. And um, I'm coming to y'all from my new apartment. Um, I moved. That's why I wasn't able to, or I guess why we weren't able to record last week. But yeah, I'm still still here in Texas, still in the Austin area, but now I'm in the hill country and I have views.
1: You do, and we can almost see your view. I I like the new background that you've got.
0: Yes, the bright sun coming through my window right now. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that one. That's the one.
0: But yeah, a lot of lot of changes have been happening, um moving, uh job changes. It's been it's been a whirlwind.
1: It really has. This has been a busy time that is for sure for both of us. And you have purple hair.
0: Oh, yes. Yes, I do. My hair is purple. Honestly, I need to redo it. But also my roots are coming in now. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to bleach my own roots. I feel like if I try that, my hair is going to fall out, y'all.
1: There is a very distinct possibility that could happen. (laughs) But hello, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany.
0: And I'm Tyler.
1: And Tyler's trying to do what he can to not be bald. Yeah. But you know what? If you're bald, you'll be bald and beautiful.
0: That happens to be the name of my favorite podcast, Bald and Beautiful.
1: Is that really a podcast?
0: It is. It's Trixie Mattel and Katya Zamolotchikova. See, there you go.
1: There you go. You would be bald and beautiful and you would relate to that podcast on a different level.
0: Yeah, but also, uh, (laughs) listeners, you can't see this, but uh, I'm pushing my hair back to show Brittany what I would look like bald. and I
1: don't like it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of forehead, and if I lost my hairline, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's that's a seven or an eight head right there.
1: You really do have, like, a five head going on.
0: I know, like, my eyes are really just
1: in the middle? basically
0: centered in my head.
1: <laughs> well, you know, we learn new things about ourselves every day while looking in the mirror.
0: You know, honestly, I'd rather look like I do now than look like a child's drawing of a person where they put the eyes like (laughs) right up with the hairline.
1: (laughs) Okay, that is a very interesting point.
0: Just saying. Well. So as many of y'all may know, we do have another drink with us coming up. That is a uh, time when we hop on a Zoom call with our lovely Patreon listeners and we get to have wine. Wine chat, connect, and honestly, it's just like all hang out. It feels very um, book club-y, not in the like boring stereotypical book club, but like in – I said stereotypical. I (laughs) I said stereotypical. I'm not saying book clubs are boring. I'm just saying if I'm like this huge party, y'all, it's like a book club. What does that sound like?
1: I mean, I would be really excited because I love book clubs. I'm in two. (laughs)
0: okay Brittany. i apologize but it's it's very much a gathering where we all just get to hang out and like real talk it's super fun our next one is coming up this week this saturday if you're listening to um this episode when it comes out um april 17th at 12 p.m central standard time or central daylight time are we in cst or cdt right now
1: it changes yeah Oh my god, it does change. Well, we just had Daylight Savings Time, so CDT?
0: I think so. Listen, I don't know when it's a D, when it's an S, when Daylight Savings Time actually begins and when it ends. I just know the clocks change twice a year, and Um, so do the abbreviations. That's why I always say CT just covers it all.
1: (laughs) I should have done that. I'm just like realizing right now for like the last month or whatever, I've been saying the wrong thing thank god no one's called me out i work with people on the west coast and so i'm always like cst and they're like bitch that's wrong but they don't tell me because they don't don't know either noticed
0: i don't (laughs) think anyone has noticed but anyway yes 12 noon central time uh april 17th and that means it'll be like 6 p.m if you're in the uk that side of western europe i think if that's how time works, but yeah, it'll be early afternoon. So if you are a listener in Europe, you could still catch us. We're not in the middle of the night. It it covers a lot more time zones, I think, than some of our other ones. Yes. Also, you get to day drink with us,
1: and I mean, we're all about that. And do you want to share the exciting part about next? The next drink with us?
0: Oh, it's going to be in person. I, w- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't. know. I, ju- I just said all the like. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to hang out and drink. Yes, Brittany will be here in person. Um, she's coming to stay at my new place, see it, all the things. So yes, you'll get to see both our beautiful faces crammed into one screen.
1: Yes, and we, at that point in time, we will both be fully vaccinated. I am just like, like literally 12 hours away from my second vaccine.
0: Yes, and I got my second vaccine uh, three weeks ago now. So... I'm, like, full-on immune because I have pre-existing conditions. And so I got mine early. I yeah. mean,
1: you, you got yours, like, a couple of weeks before I did. No, I guess, like, five weeks. Four? Yeah. You definitely... I mean, I was also in that pre-existing condition um, area <laughs> as well. And, yeah. But you know what? It's just... It's so cool. I'm looking forward to the immunity. But also your apartment. Yes, Well, speaking of the drink with us, like Tyler mentioned, that is on Patreon, and we have quite a few Patreon members to thank. So I want to do a shout out to Christina Soto, Welcome to the Family, Cindy Bode, Sky M, Morgan Houseman, Avon Noble, and also Kelly Sedlacek, or Sedlacek, Apologies, we weren't a hundred percent sure how to say your last name, Tyler. Did you have? Are <laughs> you laughing at me?
0: No, no, I just names.
1: <laughs> I just look at his face, <laughs> and he's sitting here like holding in this laughter, and I'm like, Tyler, we all know by this point in time that I'm not the best at name pronunciation. So, Kelly, so sorry if we butchered your last name, but welcome to the family. And the other really exciting thing is this is actually Kelly's director pick episode. Yeah. So today's topic, Kelly sent us a lot of really crazy, horrific cases. And so much so to where we were like, okay, we're each going to do one of these. How do we link them together? And that's how we did it. They are horrific murders. And we felt like, That was definitely a link. Um, So Kelly, we're really excited to bring you these cases and we'll tell everyone what those are once we get to them. But first, I think it's time for some wine.
0: I think it's absolutely time for wine.
1: (laughs) Tyler, what wine did you pick for this episode?
0: So the wine I'm drinking today, I'm a little scared. It is the 2019 Voyager Point Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough, New Zealand. Sounds great. Sounds like it's right up my alley. So it turns out Voyager Point is a wine brand owned by Seven Eleven, like the um, convenience store. Uh, I got this there. Didn't know that. I was like, ooh, a Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc that's like seven bucks. Hell yeah. It's Seven Eleven brand, so we'll see. Um, and on their website, they describe it as a crisp white wine that's refreshingly sweet. And that scares me. Ooh, um, yeah. But then they go into detail. They say the Sauvignon Blanc is wonderful, served chilled, enjoyed by the pool. It is a crisp white wine from Marlborough, New Zealand in the South Pacific with tantalizing aromas of citrus zest. This refreshing wine has vibrant notes of key limes and Meyer lemons. Pair it with any of our delicious pastries or break all the rules and grab some 7-Eleven nachos.
1: Oh, no. Also, what kind of lemons? Meyer what
0: okay you can go to hell
1: <laughs> I'm just messing with you I I generally would call them Meyer lemons but that's it's not me. a word
0: I can say without my accent coming out <laughs> I'm also, sorry I just
1: wanted to pick fun at you but also I don't want to eat 7-eleven nachos with my Sauvignon blanc but if somebody does you know girlfriend you do you
0: You do you, and make sure to also pick up some toilet paper when you're at 7-Eleven, all I'm (laughs) going to say. Um, But also, um, as a fun part of moving, one of my boxes got lost when I was moving, and that happened to be the box of my wine glasses. So um, this is what I'm drinking out of. It is a Café du Monde uh, coffee mug.
1: You know what I just realized? We didn't accidentally take that box to Goodwill, did we?
0: Oh, God.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't think we did. But at the same time, I don't put it past us.
0: (laughs) I don't put it past us. But honestly, all that means is that someone who needed um, some good wine glasses uh, that were cheaper now has some great ones. So yes. that makes me feel better than they're crushed sitting in the moving truck somewhere.
1: That is true.
0: Anyways, I'm going to open this now. It's honestly a very typical cheap wine label. I don't know. It's a black and white picture of sheep. And then it has the <laughs> logo. And apparently in New Zealand, sheep outnumber people like six to one. Maybe oh that statistic's off. Maybe it's like four to one. But there's still a lot of sheep. I don't <laughs> think I've ever way. seen like <laughs> a sheep it? farm in real life. <laughs>
1: No, I haven't either. But either way, that is a lot of sheep. Oh, and it's a twist off.
0: It is, and the um, so they're like big part of their logo is a pin. Like when um, you're on like Google Maps or something, you drop a pin somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's Voyager Point, and it's like embossed in the metal of the cap.
1: That's kind of cool looking. Okay. Smell like a Savinio block?
0: It does. God, see now I just feel like I'm getting ready for work. <laughs> I have my mug of secret wine.
1: Oh my god, it's so funny. We all at least did that one time this last year. Nobody tell me you didn't. You totally did.
0: Mm -hmm. One time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it smells smells like a good Sauvignon Blanc. Maybe, you know what? Maybe this is going to be the wine that I prematurely judge, and it's going to be great. Maybe. Maybe it's going to taste like it's 7-Eleven wine. Who knows? But... Brittany, tell me about uh, the wine you are drinking today.
1: I just pictured um, 7-Eleven wine, but coming out of like a 7-Eleven slushy machine.
0: A, that is what I was thinking. The Slurpee machines.
1: That or would wait, actually be really
0: good. They're icy because it's an icy drink from 7-Eleven. I want to go to 7-Eleven. That's the song from the 90s.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> wait, no, it's a Slurpee.
0: No, it's an Icy, like I-C-E-E.
1: No, it's icy not. Icy drink
0: from seven. Okay, <laughs> listeners.
1: <laughs> we got to pause for a moment to settle this dispute.
0: Okay, okay. So it used to be called an Icy back in like the 90s and early 2000s, and they rebranded it as a Slurpee. Clearly, I haven't had one <laughs> since they were <laughs> Icy's, because I remember with the like polar bear mascot and shit,
1: I totally know what you're talking about with the polar bear, and it sounds like we're both correct, Um, but I was just highly offended. I apologize, as were you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for being right.
1: Wow. Also, um, (laughs) for y'all that are only children, this is what it's like to have a sibling. You have fights over the stupidest shit.
0: At least n- neither of us thought it was that one brand that had the dog. Slush Puppy. That's the that's the one with the dog.
1: <laughs> that sounds like an alcoholic beverage.
0: A slush puppy? Yeah.
1: It does. Someone is going to like, they want to use that name and they found out that it used to be a convenience store um, icy drink and they're like, damn it! Because it was going to be their boozy drink.
0: I want a slushy and icy so bad now. I haven't had one in
1: years. I haven't either.
0: Apparently in Australia and probably New Zealand, uh, at McDonald's, you can get a frozen Coke. And it's Coke, but an icy. And that's just not fair. We're America. We're the fat ones. (laughs) We would drink that.
1: (laughs) I love frozen Coke. But I also love wine. So do you want to hear about the one I am drinking? You did ask me.
0: I did. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and tell me.
1: Okay. I will be having the Ronco Belvedere Lambrusco from Emilia, Italy. And I'm really excited about this one. It has been a hot minute since I've had a Lambrusco. And this is one that I picked up. So a little bit of a background. Dallas now has an Italy, And I know a lot of people are just like, "Okay, that's basic bitch Italian." I'm like, "I literally don't care. I love Italy. It's not super basic. It's not Olive Garden. It's way better." Um Okay.
0: okay. <laughs> I mean, when you're if you're going to rank Italian food, you got to start at the real bottom, and you got to start with fazoles. <laughs> and I think fazoles <laughs> slaps. I will fuck up some chicken alfredo with unlimited breadsticks for like $5 at a fast food place.
1: I'm, yeah, no, I mean, I'll totally eat it. But what I'm saying is there's definitely better Italian food. I freaking love Italy though. Like, their food is delicious. And they also, like, it's a wine, or, well, not a wine market. It's an Italian market. So it has all these little restaurants all throughout the market. And then you can also shop. Obviously, wine is one of the things they have. So I was going through and I was like, okay, where are your cheap bottles of wine? Um, They don't exist. So I did find this Lambrusco. I'm lying. My best friend found this Lambrusco and said, maybe you should do that one on the podcast. It's $13. And I was like, you know what? Yes, I will absolutely do this because I have not had Lambrusco in a really long time. So The
0: last Lambrusco I had was when I worked at Spaghetti Warehouse in downtown Oklahoma City. It's closed now, so I can say that. Um, and it was the Riuniti Lambrusco. And that's how we made our sangria. That and Hawaiian Punch.
1: Oh. Honestly, it's that's disgusting. Oh, God. Um,
0: it was so good. I mean, like, it was a restaurant's version of Trash Can Punch, but Trash Can Punch is good for a reason.
1: I mean... You're not wrong there. But if anyone doesn't know, a Lambrusco is a sparkling red wine. And it's one of those that I feel like people are always surprised that I very, very much enjoy. Like, it reminds me of, oh, shoot. What is the raspberry beer that starts with the F?
0: I don't know. I don't drink beer. Fufskendalen.
1: No, I think it's Framboise. Um, it reminds oh. me a little bit of Framboise, but like without the the beer parts. Um, it's nice and bubbly. This one is going to have notes of raspberry and strawberry with also some hints of oak and vanilla. Um, I will say I, I, I messed up a little bit because I left it in my wine fridge. And my wine fridge is like a one temperature one because I, I don't have a fancy one. It's one temperature. He it at a
0: thrift store for 30 bucks and stole it <laughs> out of my hands.
1: I did. I did. I, I pried it out of his, his hands. <laughs> I
0: was like, <laughs> I, my hands were alive.
1: I know. They still are. <laughs> I don't know why. Pried I it kidding.
0: out of my warm, living hands.
1: <laughs> you knew exactly where my head was going, and then I hesitated because I was like, well, he's not a corpse. Um.
0: <laughs> but I wouldn't have put it past you.
1: Wow! That God, that's mean
0: <laughs> for a wine
1: fridge. That's mean. This was it's a, do like, or die. Okay. Well, this is my Cuisinart, like just six bottle wine fridge. Anyway, what I was saying, I accidentally forgot to take it out of there. That is set for red wine. It's not chilled enough. I'm gonna pour my first glass and put it in the fridge, and hopefully later it's gonna taste correct. But. All of that said, I've got a champagne flute, and I'm really excited to try this Lambrusco. So I'm going to open it while Tyler laughs at me like an asshole.
0: No. (laughs) You said Cuisinart, and for some reason (laughs) in my head, that, I'm like, Cuisinart, like Easy Bake, like the children's baking stuff. I was like, they have a Cuisinart wine fridge? (laughs) Like, the Easy Bake oven wine fridge so mom can bake with you. Like, okay.
1: (laughs) Oh my god. No! (laughs) That was an easy (laughs) bake-up. I know! (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sure that foil was making a horrible sound. But, okay. Like champagne, Lambrusco has the cork with the cage. So I'm gonna pop it. Oh god, I'm scared. Okay. Mm. You know, it's just, it's so interesting because it doesn't smell sweet and it's not necessarily super sweet. It smells like red wine. It's always so interesting to me to open a Lambrusco because you're like, that smells like red wine, but then it has bubbles.
0: Yeah, there it goes.
1: And it is a deep, deep red color. Okay. Well, I just took a picture of it so you guys can see how dark this is because it literally looks like... I've got red wine in a champagne flute.
0: It does. But okay. With that, we have our wine. I'm thirsty. And I think it's time to drink.
1: Me too. I just realized I don't have anything to cheers with because I already put the wine back in the fridge.
0: I don't know. Grab something on your desk to hit it. Cheers. Cheers. Wow. (laughs) That doesn't make a sound at all, but the intent was there. (laughs) <laughs> oh
1: you guys tyler's face i almost like spit out my wine because of laughter okay so i think the last episode we recorded you did the target wine so maybe you need to stop buying like mass-produced wine label ma- like companies that shouldn't be making wine who are making wine
0: yeah see the thing is it's fine like it's it's solid i six out of ten and then You swallow, and that aftertaste kicks in, and it's, like, bitter and, like, plastique, and, like...
1: Is it the same aftertaste of the Target one?
0: Did I describe Target as that, like, the diet wine taste, like that almost aspartame?
1: Maybe. Um, I just remember... The reason I say that is I'm wondering if there is some type of additive that you can taste very strongly.
0: I don't know. I mean it's it's fine. It's better than the Target one. That I will say. Um I mean I I'm just I'm gonna go to an actual grocery store next time for one.
1: I think you need to do that. I am so happy with this Lambrusco.
0: Well, I'm happy for you.
1: <laughs> it is tart. I'm getting that cherry, maybe like hints of the strawberry, but for me it's a little bit more cherry. It's got the bubbles. It's beautiful, it is dry, it's not sweet, it is so good. You guys, I think Lambrusco is so underrated, and it should be consumed more often. Like, I don't want this to become one of those wines that I only have every once in a while, because I really, really enjoy it.
0: I, I, you know what, okay. Listeners, maybe not next episode, because I'm not great at commitment, apparently, Um. But maybe the following episode, I'm going to do a Lambrusco.
1: Have you never? Ha- you have, you have, but it's been a while, right?
0: Yeah, and it was Rio needy.
1: Oh, yeah. You were just saying all of this. I remember. I was listening.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you remember. It was like four minutes ago.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. My memories are being wiped away by this amazing Lambrusco that I got at the store, and I love it.
0: Okay, that's concerning. Your memories are being wiped away <laughs> with each swallow. I mean, God, that's kind of the dream. Anyway, also, okay, this is going to sound gross, or maybe not. Maybe you'll get it. As I haven't had a, a drink of the wine in um like a minute or two now, the lingering aftertaste is a very distinct garlic Ew.
1: aftertaste. Like, like you feel like you just ate a piece of garlic bread?
0: Exactly, like exactly that, like buttery, garlicky, maybe a little bit of parsley, kind of. That's that's the flavor sitting on my tongue, and that's strange. Yeah, I haven't eaten garlic today, y'all. Oh my god, what's wrong with me? I haven't eaten garlic today.
1: <laughs> Even I have. I mean, I I also probably have it every day. But um, okay, well, we we have our wine. Um, mine better than yours, similar to last time. You gotta get better. Man, I'm just saying. Pick better wines.
0: You gotta get better. That's what <laughs> my therapist says to me.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's what our, my therapist says to me, too. Okay. All right. Well, we've got our wine. We've got our horrific murders topic from Kelly. Tyler, tell us about your case. What murder did you pick? What murder did Kelly pick for you?
0: Yes. My case is the murder of Jasmine Guevara. The sources I used, documents from the Supreme Court of South Dakota in the case of State v. Diaz. And yeah, I full on read court transcripts. I love uh, it when I we find I got really those. into it. Yeah. And then two articles from the Mitchell Republic by Ellen Bardash. So Jasmine Guevara, she loved life so much. She compared life to a carnival. And in 2009, she was a very busy social teenager. She ran track. She ran cross country. She played hockey. She was in the school marching band. I don't know how she had time for all of that because she also worked multiple jobs. So she could pay for everything from like clothes to her braces that she got to like helping out her family.
1: Dang, she's inspirational.
0: I know. I'm like, shit. I was in creative writing club and worked and I thought, God, how does this is the grind, this is the daily (laughs) grind that people talk about. And I graduated.
1: And then you learned that it's definitely not (laughs) the daily grind. I think about how much I did in college. Still nowhere near the list that you just said she was doing. But she's in high school. No, I know. And I'm saying like in college, I that's when I did a ton of stuff and I like had I worked full-time, and I went to school full-time, and I don't really yeah. know how that worked, but somehow it did. But, yeah, high school? Nah. I don't know. I always worked. We always both worked, but mm-hmm. still, she has this laundry list of things. I get why she compared her life to a circus, although mm-hmm. I feel like she said that in a positive manner. That, to me, sounds scary because clowns, but...
0: I mean, circuses are terrifying. Like, let's just be real. I... Circuses are horrifying because, like, at best, you've got trapeze artists flinging themselves 50 feet in the air and you're like, I hope that net's strong enough. We won't know until we really need to know. You got people breathing fire and then lions and animal cruelty and clowns. And I don't actually think I've ever been to a circus now that I think about it. I don't- No, the Ringley Brothers, I've been to one of theirs. It freaked the fuck out of me.
1: When did you do that? I don't
0: know. They came to like the state fairgrounds once. I've, I have distinct memories of going. I don't like it.
1: I, yeah, well, uh, same, same.
0: But when Jasmine grew up, she wanted to be a plastic surgeon for children with cleft palates or cleft lips because she wanted to help people feel confident. Like that was her drive, what she wanted to do.
1: I am so inspired by her.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Then, on November 10th of 2009, law enforcement officers and firefighters responded to calls of a vehicle fire in a wooded area of Hanson County near Mitchell, South Dakota. After they extinguished the fire, they discovered a very badly burned body in the trunk of the car, and that was later identified as 16-year-old Jasmine Guevara. She had been stabbed and burned alive.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, that I didn't see coming. So what happened to her? How did she end up stabbed and burned in the back of this car?
0: Well, I'll get there. So first, the law enforcement, they didn't really have enough a lot to go on. The car that she was found in belonged to her. And they were like, well, shit. It was her
1: own car? She was in the back of her own car?
0: Yeah. So they reached out to the public to see if anyone had seen her or knew her whereabouts on November 10th. One witness uh, told law enforcement that she had seen Jasmine in Walmart with two individuals, and that tip led officers to Alexander Salgado and Maricela Diaz. Salgado and Diaz had arrived in Mitchell, South Dakota, from Indiana just the month before, in October. Diaz was 15 years old, and Salgado was 21 years old. They were also in a relationship with each other, and they were staying with a mutual friend, Stephanie Molina, there in Mitchell, South Dakota. So, on November 12th, two days after Jasmine's body was discovered, investigators found Diaz and Salgado at Molina's house, and the two of them agreed to join the officers, go with them to the police department. And then there, an investigator was attempting to get some kind of identifying information from Diaz so he could contact her parents because she's 15. She's a minor. They have to, like, get guardian permission and shit.
1: Yeah, they can't talk to her until they have that permission.
0: But she keeps giving them false information.
1: So they can't Ev- reach anyone?
0: Eventually, they were able to. Eventually, they were able to contact Diaz's mother, Irma Gutiérrez Placencia. And an officer, Hector Soto, from the Sioux Falls Police Department, spoke with her mom in Spanish, um, because that was her mom's language, and got her consent to be able to talk to Diaz. So now they're actually going to be able to talk to her. And uh, she starts talking. Oh. She, yeah. Diaz told the officers that shortly after she and Salgado had arrived in Mitchell, they met Molina's neighbor. Um... And remember Stephanie Molina that's the house they're staying at and they meet her neighbor Jasmine Guevara Neither Diaz nor Salgado had jobs and Diaz told them that Guevara helped the two of them with money with food clothing transportation I mean she was she was helping them she, that's all she wanted to do was help them she gave them tips to find jobs like just, And remember she's 16 years old
1: Yeah she's just trying to be there for them
0: Yeah Jasmine would also hang out with Diaz and Salgado, but Diaz started suspecting that Jasmine and, Sa- and her boyfriend, they had romantic interest in each other, and she was not having that. So she told the officers that she and Salgado made a plan to kill Guevara and burn all of the evidence.
1: Just because they didn't like her? She was annoying them?
0: Just because Diaz thought that, like, she was trying to steal her man, so she's like, we're gonna murder her.
1: Yeah, this is ridiculous. This sounds exactly like what happens when someone has this, like, hot temper and just, like, jumps to this horrible conclusion to, like, solve this non-issue.
0: Yeah. But I also, and I'll I'll get into it a little bit more, in my mind, things aren't really adding up, and I'm like, is that really the answer? and like the the reasoning yeah because she then said that um salgado was the one who came up with the plan and she cooperated with him because she was mad at him but also she was afraid of him um and then she also claimed to the police that salgado agreed to kill Guevara to prove his love to diaz so i'm not i'm like so did y'all get in a fight and she's like I think you like her, I think you're gonna leave me for her, and he's like, babe, I would never, what do you want me to do, kill her to prove I love you? And she's like, yes. Because that doesn't make any fucking sense. Diaz then told the officers that on the day of Guevara's murder, she asked Guevara to give her and Salgado a ride to Walmart to purchase some lighter fluid. The two of them told Guevara that the lighter fluid was for a cookout they were all gonna go to, and they invited her to it and jasmine is like oh my god yes i would love to go to this cookout with y'all like that sounds so much fun because to her these are her friends
1: right she thinks this is a fun invite she doesn't realize they have (laughs) ulterior motives
0: yeah so before jasmine picked them up um to head over to walmart the two of them hid two kitchen knives within their clothing and they get to Walmart, Jasmine buys the lighter fluid for them, um, because they don't have jobs, they don't have money, so she's like, yeah, of course, I'll go. No, I can get the lighter fluid. That's what they're going to use to burn her to death.
1: This is literally, that is so, They're that's sick. I don't even know how to react right now, because she bought the lighter fluid that they later use to burn her. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Oh my
0: God. Fucked up. After picking up the lighter fluid, Diaz and Salgado told Jasmine to drive to an area in like the middle of nowhere, basically, that was referred to as the Haunted House. And it's in rural Hanson County. Diaz then told officers that it was Salgado's idea that he would get out of the car at the Haunted House and Diaz would then start the murder. Salgado, on the other hand, he said, no, the murder was not my idea. Uh, She wanted my help to kill Jasmine to prove my love for her. She was like, if you love me, you'd kill her for me. And I guess he was like, okay. But whatever the reasoning was, they get to the haunted house. He gets out of the car. And when he returns to it, he hears Jasmine screaming Diaz said that she attempted to stab Guevara, but she wasn't able to follow through. And so when Salgado got back to the car, he grabbed the knife from her. Then while he was stabbing Jasmine, the knife broke. So he started using his knife.
1: He was stabbing her so hard the knife broke.
0: Yeah. Salgado says that Diaz was the one to stab Jasmine first, but then he also did. So I'm like... Y'all both stabbed her.
1: Yeah, you're both very, very guilty in this.
0: Salgado then stabbed Jasmine in the neck, and then he and Diaz picked her up and put her in the trunk of the car. They then doused her with lighter fluid, and she's still alive. Like, she's very much still alive. They slammed the trunk on her, set her on fire, like, set the car on fire, and she ultimately wound up dying from smoke inhalation.
1: She was a fighter to the very end
0: oh a hundred percent that was one of the sources i was reading said that that she was a born fighter like her and her twin brother were born i think like 28 weeks oh my god um like super premature and her family described her as she's was born a fighter and been a fighter her entire life
1: like that just i i'm Blown away by the fact that she was so brutally attacked, and survived that. Like that wasn't what killed her. It was the smoke inhalation after they put her in the trunk and lit the car on fire. Like that she was still Uh, very much alive, fighting for her life, and was locked somewhere where she couldn't get out. I I feel Mm -hmm. like if she would have not been in that situation, I feel like maybe she could have fought. You know, survived this.
0: Yeah. And here's one thing I do want to mention. I think I've mentioned it before, but if you're ever locked in a trunk, someone locks you in, maybe you're getting something out of your trunk and it closes. Um, In all cars nowadays, like newer ones, and I say newer, I think like mid-90s and on, they all have a glow-in-the-dark little pull handle on the inside of the trunk that you can pull that will open your trunk and if so check your car if you have one uh if you don't maybe look at getting one installed i don't think they're that expensive at all um but yeah just really good to know if you're ever trapped in the trunk of your car or someone's car you can pull that it glows in the dark so you're able to see it but yeah
1: well and also if you are trapped in the trunk of a car and it's driving on the road. Kick out the tail light and stick your hand out of the car.
0: Yeah, because I promise you, me driving behind a car, I probably can't hear if anyone's screaming in it, but if someone's hand pokes out through the uh the tail light, my ass is calling nine one one if fucking immediately. And I'm behind the car. I can see that driver's license or driver's license license plate, that's the word.
1: If your hand's not available, your foot, something, I mean just Honestly, the action of you kicking the light out or punching it out, someone's going to see. It's just, it's one of those things that you can hopefully do. So the idea of being trapped in a trunk is horrifying.
0: Uh, Yes. Diaz then told the officers that after they set the car on fire, she and Salgado walked about eight miles back to Stephanie Molina's house diaz she'd been wearing gloves and she threw them into a ditch while they were walking and she also like took off her sweatshirt and threw it by the railroad tracks basically she was getting rid of all the evidence that was on her
1: yeah but also leaving it out in the open
0: yeah yeah
1: like she's getting it off of her but i'm like okay it's got all of your dna all over it so it's going to be easily connected back to you i mean she's
0: 15 she's kind of dumb
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's exactly what ha- what's happening here. Again, like mm-hmm. this like hothead made this like quick decision of murder and doesn't know how to do it without getting caught. I hope
0: once they got back to Molina's house, uh Diaz and Salgado, they washed themselves. They used bleach on their hands to remove the blood stains. Because the blood had dried on their hands during their eight-mile walk that, like, just soap and water wasn't getting it. So they used bleach. And according to Molina, the two of them acted normally that night. Ultimately, law enforcement officers arrested Salgado and Diaz for the kidnapping and murder of Jasmine. And when Diaz was arrested, she was wearing an Eeyore sweatshirt that Jasmine had given her. Are you kidding me? Mm Mm-hmm. Just to make it that much worse. I mean, Jasmine had right. not only given them money and food, she'd given them clothing and opportunities and stuff. And Diaz is wearing one of the sweatshirts she gave her when she's being arrested for a murder. In August of 2010, just about nine months after he was arrested, Salgado pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, and he agreed to testify against Diaz as part of his plea agreement. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The state charged Diaz in juvenile court with first-degree murder, first-degree murder that happens in arson, which I guess is a separate charge, and then also first-degree arson. Wow. Diaz, like, made a—she moved to suppress her statements to law enforcement— because she said that she wasn't properly given her Miranda rights, that she didn't know everything she was saying was against her. There was a lot of back and forth in courts because she's saying that, but also during the interrogations and stuff, she, I guess, was, like, left alone a couple times. And they have her on video, like, speaking through the wall to Salgado to be like, okay, I'm going to coach you through this. Here's what you say. So, like, clearly she knew what she was doing.
1: Did she not know that that was being recorded? Come on, honey.
0: I have no idea. But after a hearing, the juvenile court denied her motion to suppress the statements. Good. But while Salgado's case, while he was charged nine months after and sentenced... Diaz is stretched out for more than five years I mean, because she was a juvenile. That's what
1: I was going to say. She was a juvenile. It makes it a lot more complicated because I'm even sitting here thinking about, you haven't told me, like, I don't know what her sentencing is. And I'm thinking like, okay, what do I feel is going to be an adequate sentence for what she did because she was 15. So even with my mind and the way it's thinking right now, I absolutely understand why this dragged on for five years.
0: Yeah. And from the date of her arrest, Diaz's identity and all of her court proceedings, everything was confidential because she's a minor. Authorities only stated that a 15-year-old girl with the initials MD was accused alongside Salgado. Because he's 21. They've, They've got him. Like, they can release anything they want. But since she's 15, it's all very confidential. Right. Then in July of 2011, after... Diaz was moved to an adult court following a transfer hearing, which is really similar to a trial in that it involves, like, testimony, the presentation of evidence and stuff, to basically see if, should she be tried as an adult? And they agreed.
1: Wow. They tried her as an adult eventually.
0: Yeah. On January 15th of 2015, a jury trial found Diaz guilty of first-degree murder First-degree felony murder, which is murder by arson, first-degree arson, felony murder involving aggravated kidnapping, and second-degree aggravated kidnapping. But after the verdict, Diaz moved to dismiss the guilty verdicts for the first-degree felony murder arson, first-degree arson, and first-degree murder aggravated kidnapping. And the court did grant that motion. So she was... Like, just found guilty in the end of first-degree murder and second-degree aggravated kidnapping. But a state law that passed in 2004 exempted minors from capital punishment, which they were looking into for this. They were looking at the death penalty for her.
1: That's not okay. But,
0: no. But because of that law, um, and she the fact that she was 15 when she committed the crime, she was ineligible for the death penalty, even though she was now in adult court. Also because of the precedent set under Miller v Alabama that the US Supreme Court set in 2012 she as a minor when she committed her crime could not be given a life sentence and i think that's a that's a supreme court case we've talked about a few times or that's come up in a few past cases
1: it has we talked about that a lot but one one thing i want to say before before we get too far from this topic it's interesting to me, in a good way, but it's interesting to me that she is being tried as an adult, but because it happened when she was a minor, she's not eligible for capital punishment, but she's being tried as an adult. And I really feel like, and this goes into what you were just saying about this Supreme Court case we talked about, but I absolutely know there have been people tried as adults who get capital punishment. And like... Even though they were minors and that this is where it gets so complicated because I'm like, if you're trying them as adult, again, not agreeing with this, but it would make sense that then they are eligible for anything any adult would be. But so I'm like, what, then they're just charge them as a minor. Like,
0: well, I think because in South Dakota specifically, it's a state law that exempts minors from capital punishment. So I think that's why even though she was in adult court, she still couldn't, like, even though she's being tried as an adult, she still was a minor. Um, but I think if she'd been tried as a minor, I don't know the severity of punishment that can be had if it's like just juvie I know. or something.
1: This is one of the things that I think should very much be fixed about our justice system. Like, number one, so many loopholes. That's not okay. Like, yeah. working for the good and the bad in those loopholes. And you add in states' laws and federal laws, and, like, things just get so complicated. But, again, like, obviously, listeners, you know that we don't agree with capital punishment. But I'm, I'm just saying these, how to qualify for it or whatever, like, it's so messed up. Like, nothing's clear. Like, this is so complicated. Yeah.
0: I mean, just the fact that, like, in the U.S., you can... Murder someone in one state and then, you know, walk 10 feet across the border into another state and murder someone. And it's two completely different types of punishment and sentences, especially if one state does have the death penalty and the other doesn't. I mean, yeah, just the the, the inequality of it across the board is mind boggling.
1: It really is. It's hard to wrap your mind around it because we have talked many a times of serial killers that cross state lines and how many people have been, you know, they get the death sentence in this state for the crimes they did. They get life in prison in this state for the crimes they did. And then that third state, you know, they get another death sentence. And it's like, okay, well... They're, they're obviously going to push to get rid of those death sentences and just take the life one. Like, the life one is the last one they try to fight kind of thing. Like, it yeah. just... It's crazy. It's crazy.
0: It is. So, on March 27th of 2015, five years and four months after Jasmine was murdered, Diaz was sentenced to 80 years in prison for murder, concurrent with 50 years for kidnapping. She's going to be eligible for parole in 2049.
1: How old is she going to be? Wait, sorry, I was thinking of the 80 years. So they didn't give her life, but my God, that's almost life.
0: Yeah, but she does have the possibility of parole.
1: Right, which life sentences don't have, uh, for the most part.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess sometimes you do get life with the possibility of parole, but I feel like that is not as common as life without parole.
1: No, I don't think it's common, but I'm not going to sit here and say it's not there. Because... I mean, yeah. I'm sure it is.
0: Yeah. But that is my case. That is the murder of Jasmine Guevara.
1: Jasmine, this sweet baby angel who had Mm -hmm. nothing but love in her heart for anyone and everyone.
0: I know. Literally, these two people basically move in next door to her. One of them is basically her same age. She's a year younger than her. The boyfriend's a little older, and all she wants to do is help them and be their friend that's all she wants and not only like wants to help them but act, like does helps them. them it helps them in a way that like an adult would help them
1: and then even helps them in her own murder without knowing it
0: yeah yeah oh my
1: god jasmine
0: so fucked up
1: oh <sighs> wow definitely horrific
0: Yes, and uh, I need some more wine uh, before we get into your case. Me too. Before we get into your case, I do have a fun wine update to, I don't know, lighten the mood, I guess.
1: Okay, tell me. But
0: I did find, so all my wine glasses are gone, but when I moved in, the apartment gave me a little fun goodie bag that had like, some, like, dog poop bags. A couple of those, like, uh, dog water bowls that, like, pop out. Um, can I have and one? And you can have one. And plastic wine glasses. Plastic stemless wine glasses. So you it's not one. much, but I have wine glasses.
1: You need to treat yourself and order two red wine glasses and two white wine glasses.
0: Oh, I know. Um, I'm, I'm a- going to buy some, like, legit... Like 20 foot tall Olivia Pope circle wine glasses.
1: You need the legit ones. Like, you literally need to go Google images of scandal so you have a picture of her wine glasses so you can find them.
0: I'm just going to text Carrie Washington and be like, hey, Carrie, those wine glasses you use, do you remember the brand?
1: And she's like, oh, yeah, actually, I have them in my cabinet. Let me go check. And she's like, they're Rydell. And you're like, Ugh, I should have known.
0: I'd be like, Carrie, you're amazing. Um, God, how wonderful would that be?
1: I mean, for multiple reasons, because she's an amazing individual. I'm really glad that your complex applied, supplied, (laughs) they applied you, they supplied you with some wine glasses. Also, yes, I will totally take the extra dog water bowl because I've been needing to buy one of those. One wine update I would like to add is it's a very random update, almost more of a note, not really an update. Lambrusco is definitely nowhere near as carbonated as like a champagne or a Prosecco, because if you look at this, the bubbles, you can't even see them. Like they're so tiny. And while it is definitely bubbly because there's some burping, it happens. um, It's nowhere near like champagne. Yeah. But enough of the wine updates. I'm going to get into my case now.
0: Yes. Tell me about your murder that Kelly chose for you.
1: I will be talking about the murder of the Schlogel family. The sources I used, an article in the LA Times, an article from the Associated Press by Karen Mills, the show on Investigation Discovery, Fear Thy Neighbor, Season 2, Episode 2, Lake of Madness.
0: Oh, wait. Is yours a neighbor?
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Oh, well, then I guess that could have been the topic. Neighbor murders.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize until you mentioned it in yours that they were neighbors. And I was like, oh, there's the sim- tie. You know the what? Tie.
0: Horrifying neighbor murders. Horrific neighbor murders. Com- I lo- yeah, yeah, that's the one. That,
1: that's it. That's it. Okay, I'm sorry. And then the other source I used, I found this blog called True Crime Stories, and the author's name, I had trouble finding it. So her screen name is Indiana Girl 22472, and she has this whole blog where she talks about all these different sources.
0: That just sounds like a name that would be on, like, Law & Order. They're like, we're looking for Indiana Girl 2291- She's the lead in this case, and it like that. That just sounds like <laughs> a username made up by television writers.
1: Yeah, it, it does. But this this is her blog, and it's one not
0: to shit on her or anything. I'm no. sorry.
1: <laughs> no, you're not. You're not. It was really interesting because I liked the way she intertwined the facts with what she thinks about it. So, um, that was just really interesting to read someone else's perspective that wasn't, like, a news article. So, a dispute over a five-foot strip of land between their lakefront houses led a man to shoot four members of the family next door and then kill himself in June 1996.
0: Okay, what the actual fuck?
1: I thought I would just Our- put it out there at the beginning. So you know where we're going on this horrible, horrible, horrible ride.
0: I mean, there is never a reason to murder someone, literally ever. But that is, wow.
1: You just A dispute
0: over five feet of land.
1: You are going to be so frustrated. You're going to be just as frustrated as I was in this case. And one thing I will say up front, I had a really hard time deciding who I was more frustrated with in this case and i'll explain this a little bit more because obviously one of the people's the murderer but there are definitely some things in this case that you can learn they were antagonizing each other and not that murder is ever an answer and ever like the solution by any means like that's wrong hello don't murder people hello but it's just this is a difficult case when it comes to how things came to fruition the Schlogel family lived in Salk Center, population of about 3,600. It's about 100 miles northwest of Minneapolis, Minnesota.
0: Oh, it's in lake country.
1: Yes. in Lake country, lake house. The family members were Warren, who was 41, his wife Marcella, or Marcy, who was 39, and their three children, 12-year-old Jody, 11-year-old Eric, and 16-year-old Nicole. Before they moved to their lake house, Warren and Marcy had a dairy farm, and they also both had full-time jobs. So doing both of these meant they had really, really long days. How do you
0: have a dairy farm and a full-time job? I thought being a dairy farmer was a full-time job, and by that I mean it absolutely is.
1: It is. So they basically had two full-time jobs, and they were exhausted. And so they were finally like, you know what? It is time to move on. We're moving out to a lake house. And when they did, it was literally like a dream come true. Because they didn't have the dairy farm to take care of. They did still have full-time jobs. But it was more like this normal life, this normal level of stress that we're all faced with. So this lake house, it it felt so right after coming from that mm-hmm. dairy farm. And it felt like home. When they moved there, next door, there was another family with three children about the same ages as the Shlogal family's children. Literally, it was just perfect. They always spent so much time together. They would have gatherings, like mini parties. Like, this was the, lake life.
0: I mean, this sounds very, like, ABC family TV show.
1: It does. And that was until the family next door moved and 72-year-old Paul Crawford Moved into the house next door in 1995. He was, like I said, an older man. He was recovering from heart surgery. He was in an apartment in the city and just wanted to get out of the city. Like, that is not where he wanted to recover. He Mm -hmm. loved being outdoors. He loved fishing. And so the lake house was totally where he wanted to be.
0: Oh, I mean, that sounds perfect.
1: When he moved in, the neighbors met, Warren went over and just said, you know, hey, if you ever need anything, my children will be so happy to help. But Paul was one of the types of people that really did prefer to be alone. He didn't, he didn't want the kids help. He didn't really want to be friends with the neighbor. He just kind of wanted to be alone on his own, in his own home, on his own land. I mean, I get that. I do too. Warren, he had lived there for a while and he was an avid hunter. He would oftentimes go on private properties while he was hunting, and it had started to become an issue. About 13 neighbors had signed a petition to keep him off their land during hunting season. Oh. And Warren just ignored it. He was like, whatever, I'm going to keep hunting. So it's kind of like he didn't give a shit. He was going to do what he wanted.
0: Yeah. I will say, I mean, good on those neighbors being like, let's put together a petition. But also, what does signing a petition do? If Nothing. like, I mean, like in this case, we're warring. Be like, okay, and like, dude, stay off people's fucking private property.
1: I know. Like, what I don't get is, I'm like, come on. Uh, number one, going back to our hunting episode a few episodes ago, like, yep. maybe don't have your gun out on other people's private property for more reasons than just the fact that you're on their private property, like it's their property, maybe they're outside, I don't know, gone on a fucking jog in the forest. Anyway, it's, yeah. there are so many problems with this and it it was something that was in the community but Warren, like, didn't give a shit. Prior to Paul moving into this home, the Schlogel family also built a boat deck on the edge of what they believed to be their property. So the way the land was, there really is, like, one place for a dock It was in between the house, like the Shlogel family home, and then the one of the neighbors that they were really friends with.
0: And I'm imagining it maybe goes five feet over into neighbor's property.
1: (laughs) We're not there yet, but you're along the (laughs) right lines, uh, because I did reveal that at the beginning. So the docks there, the old neighbors and Warren and his family shared the dock, shared the stairs. But when Paul moved in, he believed that the dock was his or at the very least that it was on his property. And he started looking up property lines and he found the old property lines from like the 50s. And immediately he goes to tell Warren just to like be like, hey, by the way, this dock is on my property. And Paul asked Warren to move the dock. Warren said no. And this started this huge dispute between the two neighbors. Paul uh. had had issues with property lines in the past with with his past neighbors he would he, he was very, very much about boundaries, and so when he felt like those boundaries were being pushed or that someone was on his property, he would contest it like. This is not the first time that this had come up. This was one of Paul's like triggers. He's like, nope, this is my land, this is my property, it's mine. To try to settle this dispute that's starting with Warren, Paul paid about three dollars to $400 for a land survey. The survey determined that the dock was on Paul's property, like we said, by about five feet.
0: When we say it's on his property by five feet, does that mean like five feet of the dock is on his property? Or the entire dock is on his property about five feet in?
1: That's a good question. I think it's the latter because it's not like like half the dock is on his property. The other half is on Warren's property. The dock is fully on his property. It's not a wide dock though. So it literally may be like... The dock barely is on his property, but it is.
0: But if he built a fence on the property line, they couldn't get to the dock.
1: Oh my god. You're thinking like Paul, because that is exactly one of the first things he did. He starts putting up fence posts. And I only say that you're thinking like Paul in the sense of you're thinking of boundary lines.
0: I was like, I ain't gonna murder my neighbors. I don't even know them yet. I need to bring a lasagna to them, though.
1: Are you gonna do it? It's what I do. You've done that before? Yeah. You took it to neighbors at your last apartment?
0: Yeah, my last apartment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's how I met my former neighbors, and then she moved.
1: Did you make a homemade lasagna?
0: I mean, yeah.
1: Oh my god, you never even made homemade lasagna for me.
0: And we were neighbors, that is true. <laughs> I was about to be like, we weren't neighbors.
1: I mean, we're siblings, we were. should you not we cook were. for me? You're making me lasagna next week.
0: I'll make you a pesto lasagna.
1: Hey, I just went to our parents' house- and I had homemade lasagna, and it was phenomenal. You know, it's one of our favorite meals. So you have competition. I make you a
0: lasagna. Okay,
1: thank you. But I know. Paul and Warren are not exchanging lasagnas. So Paul's putting up the fence posts. But one thing we should note, when a surveyor comes out and denotes property lines, that doesn't necessarily give anyone property rights the court still has to determine if there is a property dispute. Like this is not something that the surveyor is the end all be all. So Warren really pissed at Paul, who's putting up this fence. He does contact authorities and they were like, dude, you need to get a lawyer. This needs to go to court. Like there is nothing we can do about it. And Warren knew that was going to take months and cost a lot of money that they didn't have. So the Schlogel family just continued to use the dock and Paul was just getting really pissed. Then the winter of 1995 comes and the dispute, it pauses for a little bit. Warren takes up the dock for the season. It's one of those docks that you can like lift up and disassemble because of the winners up there. It could have destroyed the dock.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I was. When you very. When you earlier mentioned like oh, move the dock, and Warren's like, no. I was like, he's being a dick, but also, God, that's a big ask. I mean, it's, you know, you cement the pylons down in and all that. I was not thinking it was a dock you could remove for the winter.
1: I'm sure the pylons were still there, but the thing is, remember how I said there's literally only one place for a dock? Asking him to move the dock means you don't have a dock. Figure it out.
0: I guess that's true, but I feel like He could build a longer dock, I don't know, on his property line, unless his property line is not lakefront
1: property. It is. I am not someone who understands the construction of docks, (laughs) so stop trying to get me to, like, answer these questions.
0: (laughs) I mean, no one knows how lakes work. I'm not a dock builder. (laughs) Hydrologists. Dock construction workers listening, comment below. They're literally like, uh, Oh
1: duh, it's because of the XYZ. (laughs) No, they would not say duh.
0: (laughs) "Uh, they might.
1: (laughs) Okay. So Warren pulled up the dock. There's snow everywhere. It's it's winter and It's
0: Minnesota, yeah. yeah,
1: It's it's beautiful snow snow time. Honestly, I feel like that would be really cool living like on the lake and then also you get the snow.
0: I know. You probably ice skate. I want to. I want to live in Minnesota.
1: Well, you look at that. You've you have definitely talked about Minneapolis. I know you want to be a part of that twin cities. All right. So there's snow. There's sledding happening, and Eric, the eleven year old son, he accidentally sleds into one of one of the surveyor stakes. You might think that's not a big deal, but legally, only a surveyor can place the stake back in the ground and that costs money. So the steak comes out, you cannot simply pick up that steak and stick it in the same hole. I know that sounds oh ridiculous, but it is a law. It is a legal thing. <laughs>
0: no, I'm just flashing back to my time as a childhood being like,
1: <laughs> this funny little
0: steak with the flag in the ground and pulling it out. And I'm like, oh my god, I cost people money. <laughs> i'm not admitting to anything i'm just saying hypothetically as a child i could have done something like that
1: (laughs) hypothetically i probably did it too this is the first time i ever knew that was a thing i would just assume like yeah stick it in the same hole the hole's still there but like like, what if
0: it fucking rains and they they fall out of the hole i I mean a a bullfrog jumps on it they're
1: stuck down in the ground pretty far but if you're okay
0: a bear walks by it i don't know
1: (laughs) okay well, if this wasn't a bear, it was accidentally Eric and his sled. Then, in the spring of 1996, it's before Warren had put the dock back down. And one day, Paul decides to build his own dock in the same place where Warren's dock had previously been. Ah. So, the dispute starts to rage again. Again, because of where the shoreline is that's the only place for the dock... And Paul builds a dock and says, no, the kids can't fucking use it. So throughout the spring, Paul notices things on his property. Rocks are being thrown there. Dog poop is being thrown there, placed on his porch. And he is pretty sure that these kids have been instructed to torment him.
0: That is so fucked up. Like, leave this old dude alone.
1: Also, was this the case? I don't know. Was Paul just I mean, I guess it could have been other... I don't know.
0: Yeah, it could have been other neighborhood kids who were like, eh, the old grumpy guy lives there. Let's fuck him up. You know how 12-year-olds talk.
1: This is a part of this case. Remember where I said where it gets really hard to realize, like, like at the end of the day, the bad guy is Paul because he's the murderer. Yeah. But it sounds like there are a lot of things that led up to it that are pretty fucked up, too. Yeah. So Paul starts to think that Eric is using him for target practice because he feels like he's being shot at eric had a bb gun and paul just hears shots and he's like this kid's shooting at me
0: but doesn't he have a fence up
1: no the fence never completely went up it was just the posts okay warren believes that his kids should be able to use the dock and tells them that they can and this makes paul even angrier
0: i mean warren
1: You see where my head's at where I'm like, oh my God, y'all are all just, there is wrong happening everywhere right now. Yeah. So on the evening of June 20th, 1996, 16-year-old Nicole has just, she's had enough of this family feud. She had her wisdom tooth surgery in the morning. So she's all swollen. She just wants to get out of the house.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm just remembering me post-wisdom <laughs> tooth surgery when I straight up hit on my orthodontist. I'd only been out for a little bit, and I was like, you could be my boyfriend. Aww. And my orthodontist was like, I just took your teeth out, dude. Uh But then also- I hope you I said would, it
1: just like that.
0: I don't remember. <laughs> I remember that I hit on him, and that's it um and then i also that was the same day that uh lady gaga was born this way the song came out and i listened to it and posted my status i was like i was born to survive and my friends were like you need to go to bed
1: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i remember sleeping a lot and having like really swollen cheeks and nicole was similar she had the swollen cheeks, but she just wanted a break. She wanted to, like, hang out in the city with her friends. <laughs> the city. It was, like, a street.
0: <laughs> I know. I like, the, the city. But no. She, she wanted to go to the general store with her friends. No. She
1: wanted to go into town. would be the correct phrase. She wanted to go into town with her friends. And so Warren took her there. They had this really, like, funny moment where he's like, you just look really ridiculous. But, you know, go have fun with your friends. Not long after Nicole leaves, the police were called to the house. Paul had called the police because, according to him, not only had the Shilogo family continuously not respected his property, but one of them had removed another stake. And this, again, is making the survey that he spent money on useless. Paul and Warren both showed the deputy where they felt the property line was. And the deputy was like, dudes, you need to both get lawyers. You need to take this to court. There is not anything law enforcement can do. Everyone seems like they're civil in this moment. Both of the men are agreeing to this. And the deputy did ask, he was like, Warren, can you please keep your kids off the dock? Because that was like the the point of the dispute. And it's like, you, you just need to take this to court, but can you please keep your kids off the dock? So when the officer left, he felt that the men had calmed down and this was going to be handled you know it was a legal matter now so he felt comfortable leaving about 11 minutes after the deputy left neighbors would hear gunshots and at least two 911 calls would be made
0: oh shit
1: now it is not entirely certain what exactly happened in this 11 minutes Was Warren actually really upset after the deputy left and he started to provoke Paul? Was Paul pushed over the edge? Like, what happened? One of the first 911 calls was actually made by 11-year-old Eric from the inside of his home. And the second was from a nearby neighbor who not only saw Paul with his gun, but saw Paul shoot Warren.
0: Jesus. And Nicole is in town town. right now with her friends she's
1: in town with her friends
0: jesus
1: so this exact same deputy who 11 minutes prior had left he hears it on the scanner he turns around and returns to the property yeah this time though he is approaching the property with caution he's on warren's property at the time and that's when he sees warren and jody's bodies on the back patio Warren had been shot in the back of the head, and it's assumed that when Jody saw this happen, Paul, Paul then shot her three times in the chest. But Jodi, this is 12-year-old Jodi, she was still alive.
0: Oh my god.
1: But at this point in time, the paramedics cannot get to her because they think the shooter could potentially still be at large. Like, this incident I is mean, in, in the middle of happening.
0: Yeah, if it's an active shooter situation, first responders can't get in there.
1: No. Jody eventually is taken to the hospital, where she does succumb to her wounds. Marcy and Eric were found dead inside the home.
0: So he went into the house shooting.
1: Yes. What it appeared happened is that Paul shot Marcy soon after he jo- shot Jody. So, like, there he's on the porch... He kills Warren and Jody, and he goes into the house. Marcy's right inside. He shoots her. And then Paul actually leaves the property because he ran out of ammunition. This is when Eric calls 911. And this is one of the most heartbreaking parts of this case. Okay. Prepping you for it. This is before 911 could automatically locate where you are. You had to give them your address. He doesn't know his address. And so the 911 operator is trying to help him figure out where he is because they don't know where to send anyone.
0: Because it's the 90s.
1: It's the 90s. And so the.
0: Jesus. Oh my.
1: So the operator asks Eric to find a piece of mail with the address. So Eric is searching around the house, trying to find a piece of mail so he can tell the operator where he is. Back at his house, Paul calls his ex wife. And he tells her to come to the property now. The neighbor, as I mentioned, someone else had also called 911. This was a neighbor named Frank. He's on the phone with 911 and sees Paul going back and forth and sees him return to the Shlugal property with a rifle. Paul takes the rifle and shoots the dog. And then he shoots Warren again. And then he goes into the home. This is when he sees Eric on the phone with 911. He rips the phone out of the wall and he shoots Eric.
0: What the fuck is wrong with this person?
1: There's so much wrong in this case. And one of the things that I'm, I'm not trying to put fault by any means on this operator, but this child is in an active shooter situation and the operator didn't tell him to hide. The operator tells this kid to yeah. run around the house to find a piece of mail. And I understand yeah. that the operator was just trying to figure out where to send help, but in that Eric had the time to hide. He had the time to even run out of the house and go to another neighbor's
0: I know he could have he could have left
1: and that would have been a risk, even leaving would yeah. have been a risk for the operator to tell Eric, but she have told him to hide, yeah, because it's not. A a failsafe by any means. We don't know if Paul would have continued to search until he found him. But, I mean, he walked right in and Eric was still right there. Yeah. So after Paul shoots Eric, he goes back to his property and shoots himself. When the paramedics arrive, he is still alive, but later dies in hospital. At the scene, the police discovered the pistol and the rifle that Paul used. This was a murder-suicide Over a land dispute, and the only surviving member of the Shulgo family was Nicole. And like we talked about, it's because she was home.
0: Oh my god.
1: Nicole's friend heard about this incident as it was happening on the police scanner. Because I oftentimes forget that a lot of people have police scanners and listen to that to know what's going on in their area. I've never thought to do
0: it, but... No, but I feel like it's a thing, especially people in small towns... Like, Mm -hmm. that's a lot more normal. Yeah,
1: no, it seems like it's a pretty common thing. So her friend hears this, immediately goes to find Nicole. Nicole tries to call home. No one's answering. She, like, her friend drives her back to her house. She sees that something's going on. The police are like, no, no, you cannot come onto the scene. You need to go to the hospital. She goes to the hospital because, remember... Jody was found still alive so Jody was taken yeah. to the hospital Nicole is able to go there and say goodbye to Jody and she's there when she finds out what happened to her entire family
0: What the fuck
1: I literally can't even begin to imagine what this would feel like ever but especially as a teenager Yeah the the big question still remains why did Paul do it Paul did later. He was also taken to hospital and he passed. And, you know, his two kids showed up and they felt so guilty because they they knew their dad. Like they saw a big crowd of people in the waiting room with Nicole and they felt so guilty. But Nicole holds no resentment to them. They weren't involved in this. Yeah. Like, this had nothing to do with them. In this investigation discovery episode of Fear Thy Neighbor, Nicole's actually in it. So most of what I just shared is her words in, in what happened.
0: Fuck, I don't know if I could watch that.
1: There are reenactments, and I feel like for some reason reenactments make things like this a little bit easier to watch because it, it takes away some of the reality
0: yeah, I mean, it's it's like why I survived is so impactful is because they don't have reenactments. They have just the person talking because mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I think reenactments too often either slide towards horror movie or slide towards like cheesy.
1: Yeah, I would say this one is in the middle. It gets a little bit cheesy, but also I think part of that is due to the fact what these families were arguing about like the property line feels so ridiculous like this is not worth anyone's yeah.
0: life i know, i just it's not even a you know paul and warren were in a screaming match and warren gets shot it's then paul hunts the family down
1: well see that's the thing we don't know what happened in in that moment We don't know if there was a screaming match. We do know that Warren was shot in the back of the head. So maybe it's it's like either Paul just walked up on him or they have an argument and Warren turns around and Paul pulls a gun. Like there are a few things that we can assume and, and we have a little bit of facts, but we know what eventually happened. Nicole actually ended up later moving back to the lake house that became her home she said it felt like the home and that she had angels watching over her which i love how positive that perspective is i don't think i could go live at a place i don't where i knew my family i don't think i could
0: yeah i don't think i could look at this spot where that's where my sibling was shot and ever not see that right Oh, fuck. I don't.
1: Yeah. That's really disturbing. But for Nicole, that's where her heart called her to be. Yeah. This whole case is horrific in so many ways because.
0: Jesus, Kelly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's why this is our horrific neighbors episode. Um, but yeah, the it's like this crime doesn't fit the argument nothing does like no no murder fits any type of dispute unless you are being attacked or like true self-defense like it's
0: oh yeah i mean there there is never a reason to murder because i wouldn't call like true self-defense and stuff like that like murder but wow because when you were telling the story i was like god warren is being a dick about this Like, they both are, but then everything that happened, I'm like, okay, no, I don't give a shit how how rude you are. Like, nothing ever calls for anything like this. I agree. Because the thing is, Paul went in and hunted his family down. He hunted Eric
1: to murder him. He left and came back.
0: Yeah, and I cannot... I just cannot believe like that 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 happened like Jesus fucking Christ. I mean both of our cases have left me just very what the actual fuck both. because yeah. in my case Jasmine was straight up murdered because she she helped this couple and then maybe the the boyfriend might have been interested in her and was just straight up fucking murdered. Brutally for that. And in your case, there was a fucking property dispute. I know. And, like, we've all had neighbors we wish we didn't have. At my last apartment, I had a neighbor below me who, if I deigned to breathe too loud, would bang on their ceiling and that...
1: But You literally lived above Heckles.
0: uh, Yeah, but this this kind of reaction to hunt the family down and murder them because the only reason nicole survived is because she wasn't there because if she'd been in her bed in her bedroom laying in bed post wisdom tooth surgery he would have hunted her down and murdered her i know like what the actual fuck
1: yeah this episode uh was very intense and it's like one of the examples of cases and, and murders that happen when the reasons are literally just mind-boggling because it's like, wait, really? What? You felt the need to murder someone over that?
0: I know. I'm just like, I just don't understand. How do you even justify that to yourself? I'm going to murder them because they're using my dock and going on my property.
1: Well, and and maybe... Paul eventually realized quickly that he couldn't justify it, and that's why he committed suicide.
0: Yeah, but even still, just to get to that point. I
1: know.
0: Like, I I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't sound like an actual human emotion or reasoning.
1: And I don't know if it's anything you can understand, because I don't think there really is a reason.
0: Yeah. Well, damn. Kelly, thank you for bringing these cases uh, to our attention. Because I feel like these are two cases I don't think either of us would have found. No, I... if Kelly had not brought them to us, nope,
1: I had not heard of either of these. So, Kelly, thank you.
0: Yes. If y'all enjoyed this episode, make sure to uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us those five stars. Let us know what you enjoyed and. Yeah.
1: Also, be sure to like and follow us. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
0: And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off.
1: XOXO. Bye, you guys.
0: Bye. Bye.